Now, PW Torch and Spreaker bring you the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. Five years ago this week on the flagship, PW Torch VIP analyst Todd Martin joined me, and we talked about Roman Reigns' return, Batista's return, Kevin Owens' return, also the Ronda Rousey-Stephanie McMahon interactions, Matt Riddle in NXT, a review of the NXT TV show, the latest New Japan happenings, looking ahead to what were Jay White's upcoming matchups in New Japan, plus a UFC preview. So let's get to it. This originally dropped on February 28th, 2019, and it is today's Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. Five years ago, flagship flashback for Saturday, March 2nd, 2024. So, just stretching, ah, getting ready, you know, getting limber and warmed up. Nothing like nothing like a good stretch, and, uh, and indeed you you need to be prepared. So <laughs> I kind of do, yes. All right, well, I mean, quite quite the week, uh, Todd. Let's start with the uh, the biggest news. Roman Reigns announced he would be on Raw. Um, I saw you were uh, uh, outspoken on Twitter. You don't always speak out on Twitter about everything, uh, so I thought that was noteworthy. Um, against advertising a health update days ahead of time. Uh, talk about that and and how you think they handled it ultimately. Well, I mean, the company I don't think handled it very well. I mean, I I, I don't care to really belabor the point. <laughs> People get so up in arms um, over this. I just think you know if you uh, if a guy is going through a, a health crisis, you shouldn't try to you know maximize uh, suspense about his condition in order to uh, draw bigger ratings. Um, you know, I just think that's. Uh, that's not the way to go. The the segment itself, I thought, was really nice. You know, there was a real outpouring of of support um, from the people. You could, it really felt genuine. It felt like uh, Roman appreciated it. Um, and it was funny. They they came back from the the break after the Roman segment and went to a tag match. And quickly into that match, they cut to another commercial. And I thought, wow, that's that's strange. Such a quick break. And then I looked at the time and I realized that that first segment that felt like it just flown by had been nearly twenty five minutes. So. Um, I think it sort of spoke to the, you know, the the the, the drama and the uh, uh, the you know just the, the the good feelings of the segment that uh, a segment that went quite long just felt like a you know snap of the finger. Yes. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, and then he got involved later in the show. How do you think they're handling? What's your opinion of what they're how they're doing it and what they're doing with with Seth and and how it affects Seth Rollins and then kind of part two how it affects Dean and what they're doing with him. And I'll in particular say, I pointed this out on some audio somewhere, that seeing Roman and Seth next to each other when Seth's sort of been the starting quarterback for a while, it was kind of interesting to think, okay, how does Roman's back? We don't know how full-time and how quickly, but it does affect Seth Rollins too, and it can be good. It might it might push him out, or it might make a case for them being on different brands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought that I thought that the Seth and, and the Roman thing was the uh – um, one of the, 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 the stronger, more notable parts of the show because, you know, you could just see, see the, you know, the bond between these two friends and you know both of them. So, you know, just sort of seeing how, what it meant to both of them, I thought, you know, you felt for, for, for both of them in the situation. Um, as far as how it affects them, I mean, in, in a different, environment i think that it would be like a big issue for seth potentially in terms of just his career because he was being framed as the top um the top male baby face on raw with with roman gone and with roman coming back obviously that that complicates things for for seth but the reality of it is that since roman left the the, the top baby face um 
on in WWE is for the most part been Becky Lynch, and so, th- so there doesn't feel the same feeling of like oh Roman's back to take that spot that that Seth has had because Seth, while he's been involved in the top stuff, there hasn't really felt like the focal point of the show, and thus I don't feel like there's the same the same. I don't want to say risk because I mean it's not like it's like a you know like I think Seth in 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 many ways would be happy if you know Roman came back was elevated higher position because you know of, of what he went through but you know it, it isn't I don't think it has the same you know the overall uh, overall same effect that it would um, were Seth being promoted as the top star of the uh, of of the company and even I mean. Becky has done plenty of stuff on Raw, but even on, um, uh, you know, she's also does a lot of stuff on SmackDown as well, and is more with SmackDown. But I mean, Ronda Rousey is also sort of promoted as a bigger star. She's not, I think, on balance as popular as, as Seth Rollins, but um, she's, I think, pushed more. So as far as Dean goes, I mean, I don't think it's probably going to affect him that much one way or another. I mean, I think the the the, the move to turn him babyface. Likely was made with the with with Roman coming back in mind, just because the idea that Roman always benefited from having the shield around. I think that's what fans would like, and as well. And so having Dean in that capacity, I think, is a more satisfying story for them to tell. But I think ultimately, he's you know he's he's probably made up his mind. I don't I don't view Roman being back as really affecting him that much in terms of how he would approach the idea of going to uh, uh, to AEW. So I think. You know, I think him, uh, his time between now and then is, is largely going to be the same either way. As far as the, the angle with him, I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. You know, just sort of a basic angle. You know, you, you know, you get the drama. They're beating up, uh, they're beating up Dean Ambrose and you hope that the baby faces are going to come out and, uh, and bail them out. And indeed they did. Uh, you know, just sort of your, your standard, uh, your standard stuff. And I will say as well, um, I know some people were critical of the, the Baron Corbin thing, um, where he was talking about Roman Reigns cancer back, um, backstage and as part of a, as part of a heel promo. And, and while I was critical of, quite critical of some of the other stuff WWE did, um, not only in terms of the build up, but also the, I mean, we'll see. I mean, hopefully at some point we get an answers on this t-shirt deal, um, and whether they're donating the proceeds to, to charity. Um, but, you know, a number of aspects of it were problematic. The, the Baron Corbin stuff I don't, I don't find problematic because to me, the, the, the stuff where you feel like you're exploiting something that's under, that's still underway to me is different than um, dealing with something that hopefully is past. And while it's true, this is something that, that Roman's going to have to, you know, be vigilant about in the future. It isn't something he's, he's actively fighting right now. So there isn't the same emotional weight to it and feeling that you're, um, you know, you're exploiting people's real concern and real, um, you know, jeopardy about, you know, about his, uh, about his life and the way that you are, if he's still dealing with that or, or on the flip side, if you were dealing with someone that's already died, which has been the more common um, issue with WWE, uh, with WWE and wrestling in general over the years, somebody's dead and you then talk about them and he'll talks about them in a negative light. And that to me, like the person's gone, there's so much emotion with the people that know that person that playing that up on television to me is a real, you know, a real, uh, a real harmful thing to do and doesn't bring very much return for doing it for that matter. And to me, that's, that's also different than, um, than Baron Corbin, uh, and mentioning in the way that he did or them bringing up his previous remarks. So I didn't have a big, uh, a big problem with that by any means. Do you think Michael Cole help matters? Um, when he no. said the big dog is back? No. 
<laughs> no, I agree. I agree. All right, it's time to set the table. This is the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast, the Thursday flagship edition for February 28th, 2019. I'm Wade Keller, host of the program, and I'm joined today, as I am every three weeks, by PW Torch VIP analyst Todd Martin. Todd and I normally record The Fix with Todd Martin on Wednesdays. We spend an hour or two going through current events from WWE, NXT, ROH, New Japan, and more, plus reviewing the latest wrestling books, wrestling documentaries, and more. And then one of the highlights of VIP membership each week is the mailbag with Todd Martin. That was featured yesterday for VIP members. Uh, today, we bring you the Thursday flagship, and we're going to continue our conversation now with uh, more of a discussion about an eventful uh, Raw and SmackDown. And then we're also later on going to get into um, the latest going on in New Japan and a look ahead at uh, some key opponents for Jay White coming up uh, over the next year and kind of the trajectory of big matches for him. And we're also going to get some uh, UFC talk in, including uh, John Jones in uh, another title defense, also Robbie Lawler in the UFC debut of Ben Askren, and more on that show, including some Marty talk. Also, uh, actually, before we get to uh, Japan and UFC, we're going to talk about Matt Riddle on NXT TV and how his character is progressing, uh, including a, a look at the, uh, the, the Jeremy Borish interview from TV last week and then the special they put on WWE Network and some other thoughts on, uh, on NXT. So a lot more to come. Uh, just a reminder, tomorrow, Bruce Mitchell, PW Torch senior columnist on staff since 1990 joins me for a special Friday mailbag edition of the Wade Keller Podcast. So if you have questions, get them in quickly to Wade Keller Podcast at pwtorch.com. Wade Keller Podcast at pwtorch.com. Special mailbag edition with Bruce Mitchell making one of his infrequent appearances here on the Wade Keller Podcast. Looking forward to that and looking forward to your questions and topics. Oh, by the way, I always say this at the end of the show, but just in case uh, you don't make it to the end of the show sometimes, I want to remind you how you can follow us on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at the Wade Keller. You can follow our brand at PW Torch on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, we always encourage you to check out pwtorch.com, our website updated daily with news, TV reports, including my live coverage of Raw, SmackDown, and WWE pay-per-views, Justin James's NXT TV reports, so much more. Great stuff there every day, flashbacks. Uh, check it out, pwtorch.com. Same thing if you're an MMA fan, mmatorch.com, our sister site, headed up by Mike Hisco, the managing editor, with coverage of UFC, including uh, previews of what's coming up this weekend with live Blow-by-blow, fight-by-fight coverage of UFC 235 this Saturday. Uh, and also uh, check out pwpodcasts.com. That's sort of like the Rotten Tomatoes of pro wrestling podcasts in the sense that it's uh, reviews of pro wrestling personality-hosted podcasts. So a summary of the show, what were the main things that were covered on the podcast, but also thoughts and a review on the podcast. Should you go out your way to listen? Who's it for? Who's it aimed at? Uh, and I know there's so many podcasts out there, you might not have time to check out everything. So that site can kind of help point you in the direction of a podcast that interests you or just help you keep up on ones that you know you're not going to have time to get around to. So that is pwpodcasts.com. Andrew Socek, Jeff Rush, the whole team, they're doing a great job. If you attend a live wrestling event, 
please send results to pwtorch at pwtorch.com. You can find examples of that in our arena report section on pwtorch.com if you kind of want to get a guide for it. But basically, just send us the date, the city, uh, who beat who in each of the matches, number them uh, straight down, give us an estimate of the attendance, and let us know how the crowd reacted and what you thought of the event. That applies to all events, WWE, NXT, ROH, and on and on. That's pwtorch at pwtorch.com. All right, so let's get back to Todd and continue our conversation here on Raw and then SmackDown and much more after that. So I know you were, you, and correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I don't need to say that. You will. Um, you said, uh, that when, if Roman comes back and we all hoped he would, that he, that if he got cheered at first, that it, there's no guarantee he would continue to be cheered by the people who booed him previously. Is that a correct characterization? And, and do you have an update on that? Just based on what we saw <laughs> on on his, I'll call it a performance, because even he said there was only a moment he had lived. The rest was implying plan. Um, yeah, and by the way, that I mean, people haven't really um, talked very much about that because that was such a small part of the of the bigger picture, but. When you talk about sort of instincts for different things, I mean, that was, I, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was just a bad instinct to have, which speaks nothing to like the, you know, the, the issue of his health or anything else, but just as sort of like recognizing what you're doing and the, you know, the bigger picture of the story you're trying to tell using that language was, uh, you know, just a, a, a I think it, 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 not a mentality that you want from, in terms of the, the best way to, um, portray yourself in the way to think of what you're doing when you're in front of an audience. Um, that, you know, saying something that isn't, uh, th- bringing attention to the idea that, that what you're saying isn't, uh, isn't, uh, isn't at the, uh, you know, isn't coming as it, it isn't off the top of your head. Yeah. And, and while, well, and, and I was critical of it and, and agree with everything you said, the, the only, and, and, it doesn't matter if you can explain it away. What matters is what does it do in the moment? And I think in the moment, it made people think, oh, wait a second, you're, you, this other stuff is scripted because the context is people kind of know WWE's overscripted and overproduced. In his defense, I think what he meant, and he, and I agree he should have had a better instinct than to say it the way he did, but what I think he meant is I had a lot, I thought about this moment a lot. And there's a lot of things I want to get to. This is something I didn't plan for. I wasn't thinking about. And, and I think that's where he was coming from. Not so much, I'm going to break from script, br- I'm going to shoot brother. You know, it wasn't one of those moments, but it wasn't, you know, in his mind, he had these bullet points of what he wanted to run through. And that's understandable. This was a very nervous moment, a very big deal for him. Of course, he put a lot of thought into it, but it, it did, t- it took me out of the moment because it made me think, oh God, is this all the show? So I'm trying to defend him a little bit, but I also think even he'd look back probably, even though he says now he doesn't like to watch himself on TV anymore. Uh, he would go, he'd cringe a little and go, yeah, it probably wasn't the best, best way to frame that. That's a good sign, by the way. Anyone who says they like to watch themselves on television, I, I'm suspicious of. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, as far as, as far as what you're asking about, uh, about Roman, the reaction going yeah. forward. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's still very much an open question. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm curious myself just from, you know, as an observer and, and, uh, you know, watching how it goes. I mean, to me, and when people are sort of talking about this, it seems to me that there have been sort of two basic paths that people are talking about. And to me, there are really three. One is they continue to cheer Roman. And I don't rule that out at all in that 
I mean, we've, we talked about Roman a lot over the years, and and my perception has always been more more so than you that a lot of the negativity with Roman Reigns was a a tribal thing. That's 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 sort of I've often used to describe it, which is to say the fans decided this is not our person, this is not a guy on our side. We don't like him. He's Vince's person. We like these other people better, and it was they um they viewed what he did through that lens and. If it were an issue of Roman Reigns being a bad wrestler or, um, a, a, you know, not coming across as a, a believable tough guy or not having charisma, I mean, there, there are limitations to him, but if he, he's overall, I think, a, a, a good wrestling performer. Um, and he, he's, he's, he's capable of, of holding a, a, a spot. And I think a lot of the, the backlash to him was just the idea that he wasn't our person. And if he comes back now and people get the feeling and it's, it's not, you know, it's not an intellectual thing. It's, it's a, a feeling and an emotional thing that this is our guy because of what he's been through. Um, because of, you know, the, the, the fact that he dealt with this situation well after, you know, all the, the, the stuff that's been over the years, I can see people just deciding, okay, we're, we're with him and we're, you know, we're happy with this going forward. And there isn't a, a, a substantial backlash and it's, you know, well, I mean, there's always going to be some backlash because that's just the nature of pro wrestling. I mean, it, it, in today's environment, there aren't a lot of people that go by for really long periods of time with nobody ever, you know, with nobody ever not liking them. Um, uh, yeah. Um, the, the second possibility is that eventually fan, at some point, I don't know when that would be, you know, whether it's two months or four months or a year, eventually you start to see that growing, you know, that growing negativity and it sort of comes back with a sense of, well, you know, this, you know, we, we just, we don't like this guy in this role, you know, which is fine. You know, they, it's okay for people to not like a, a, uh, a, a wrestling character. And I think, I think that was, you know, some of the problem that WWE got to over the years was this feeling that like there's something, inherently wrong with fans just wanting somebody to be a heel that it's sort of like a rejection of that person or like it's a rejection of the booking or you know there's some larger narrative as opposed to just you know fans are sick of them in that role and they want them to be the villain of the story right now and i think it's you know i think it's a distinct possibility that that comes back and people are reminded with with roman coming back and you know presumably getting a big push of the reasons why they didn't like him in the first place and you know, and it ends up going back to the way it was before. So those both, I think, are possibilities. A third, and in some ways, a third, I think, might be the most dangerous, um, not only in terms of what it could do, but also in terms of I don't think that they may be thinking about it in these terms, is that you get a lot of people that don't, that, that are happy that Roman is okay, that want him to be a happy person, have a good life and be with his family and whatnot, but still ultimately don't feel very warmly about him as a wrestling character. And when they watch him, they don't feel that great about the idea of him being the center of the story. But on the flip side, unlike before where booing him was a, felt like a fine part of the overall story of what's going on in WWE. You can boo the person you don't like, and that's okay. You're just voicing your opinion about that character. There will be a sentiment, a feeling that 
it just feels wrong to boo this guy. Like I'm doing, you know, like I'm in the wrong here, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to feel like I'm being classless or booing cancer or, you know, like, or cheering cancer, you know, booing somebody surviving cancer. I don't want to feel like I'm, you know, or, or for that matter, just giving this guy who went through, who's has this situation, giving him the stress of, you know, saying we don't like you in this role. And so those people rather than, they don't embrace him, but they don't boo him a lot either. And you just get this sort of chilliness towards him. And, you know, there was the line that had to be used. And there was, I think that some of the, some of this was sort of, um, spin, but the idea that as long as you get a reaction, um, that, that's the important thing. And, and I think the, the third path is that there's a, a substantial group of people that just sort of feel disconnected from the product. That they don't like the idea of, 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 um, of cheering Roman Reigns. They don't like the idea of booing Roman Reigns. And so in turn, the product just feels like it isn't really for them if it's built around Roman Reigns. And without an outlet one way or another, those people drop off. And, you know, we've seen this sort of gradual decline amongst more and more casual people, but that could cut to the heart of not the casual people, but the hardcore people who are really invested in this thing and they have all this emotional ties. They don't feel like they want to do it and they just, they feel like, geez, you know, like this, you know, maybe I shouldn't be devoting as much time as I have. And it, 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 it cuts into that, that core audience in a way that you haven't seen as the, the casual audience has dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. And so I think all three of those are, are, are distinct possibilities going forward. And as far as which one we got, I, I don't know. Was there anything about Roman in this, uh, I hate to call it a performance, but standing in the ring for that amount of time and telling his story and, and where he, Seemed to be in a different place than he had been before. Like, has he, again, it's, it, it's real life, but has he grown as a performer because he went through this real life experience? And there's a way that maybe he can let his guard down a little bit more with the fans, be a little less, uh, uh, Vince McMahon's plastic, super scripted superhero with Michael Cole saying these, these, these catchphrases about him. And he's sort of fitting in this mold and, but it felt kind of tight and phony to Pete, to, to the people who didn't like him. Um, do you think he's more comfortable in his own skin now as a performer? Because he kind of did open up and, and he is more Joe out there than that vision that, that, that Vince had for Roman Reigns. Is that something that can actually, he can build on and, and what he was before may not return some of the things that people found off-putting? I mean, it's only one week, so it's, it's difficult to draw broad conclusions, but I mean, this largely feels like a, a fake narrative to me. I mean, I, I think he feels like largely the same performer that he was before. And I, I again, I, I wasn't down on him in, in, in a lot of ways as a performer. I thought that, you know, like there, there were, there were, you know, issues with things that he would do here and there. But I thought always when he came out to the ring, he had a poise about him. He had a strength about him. And, you know, I thought that, you know, if you're, if you're not really liking him, that could be off-putting. But if you do like him, I think that's the sort of thing that you do like in a, in a hero of a story. And I thought that the key thing was not, 
the difference between him doing something, but just the difference between how people wanted to respond to him. And I thought that the difference in reaction was, I thought validated that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the third, I, I think the third path you, you articulated is, is very possible. If what, if, if he kind of, when he gets back in the full swing of things and is a weekly performer, uh, on the show, if, like, I, f- I feel like there's some foundation built now, and this happens with, with relationships with people where maybe you, you have a coworker and then you go through something with them or they go through something and you're there for them. And then it, it just, there's a different dynamic to the relationship. Um, where yes, you were around him a lot, but it, it, you didn't get, it didn't get tested in a way and it got tested and, and they came through. If Roman brings that to the ring with him and the male fans who were booing and bring that to the ring and they start seeing him through the lens that the kids and the women did before who were cheering him or the more casual fans who went to the house shows, um, in some of the markets where he did get cheered and he acknowledges it. He, you know, and he can kind of be like, Hey, we've been through a lot and there's a, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think there is something to build on there, but he may not feel comfortable building on it. But I, I always felt with him, and, and, and I've made this case, that top baby faces, and I think Sting had it early and lost it later, where you the fans feel, and I think wrestling fans, not uniquely, but especially in, in so many cases, want to feel that the wrestler who's performing for them loves what they're doing, loves wrestling, and isn't faking it or phoning it in. And and I don't know that Roman ever – Roman, I think, to the guys came across as somebody who didn't love this. It was a job that he was good at and anointed for, and he was a good hard worker, and he did his job. He, they weren't didn't think he was lazy. They didn't think he didn't have good matches. He, he showed up, but there was something there that that, that felt like he – didn't look down at the fans, but they weren't really his people. And, and I wonder if, even if it's lip service and, and even to a degree somewhat of, it's the right thing to say, so I'm going to say it. If he can build on that, I do think that can stave off two of those three options that are not, that are not desirable for everybody right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's very much a, uh, an open question here. And, and, and part of it too isn't going to be, um, Roman himself, but how WWE handles it. I mean, they're the ones, yeah. you know, they're the ones deciding how he's pushed and how hard he's pushed. And they're also the ones that are going to make the decisions in terms of how they handle the, uh, handle the, 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 the cancer issue. And yeah. if it feels exploitative and that's no, that's no fault of his, um, some of the heat on that might, you know, might go towards, uh, might go towards him. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables and, a lot of stuff we don't know. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, reg- regardless, it's uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's good that he's uh, he's able to uh, get back to uh, get back to a uh, normal life. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, let's look at other aspects of Raw. Let's go to the uh, the big angle at the end with uh, Batista ruining Ric Flair's. Uh, he's been waiting seventy years for this, uh, his seventieth birthday party, and uh, Batista. Ruined I don't it. think I don't think anybody waits seventy years for their seventieth seventieth birthday. <laughs> I mean, technically, that's exact, precisely true if it falls on their seventieth birthday. But uh, yes, they're not. You're not. Well, yeah, I know what you mean. So, nevertheless, what what do you think of the uh, the angle and and as a launching point? Um, for, for, you know, it's pretty clear, Triple H Batista now at, uh, at Wait, WrestleMania. 
Oh, you know, now, now that you say it, yes, um, I hadn't really connected the dots there. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the angle. I, I think yeah. we view this actually very, very similarly. Um, going into this, I, I wasn't interested in the idea of Batista versus Triple H. And now that, I, now I am. I thought yeah. it was an intense, and, and that often isn't the case with IW angles. Um, I thought it was intense. There is the, the limitation of, Dave being a tough sell as a heel because people like him a lot. Um, but I assume that's what he wanted. And even, even if it wasn't, you're doing him and Hunter, which we've seen a billion times with Batista as the face. And this makes it feel fresher. It doesn't feel like a rerun. It's the opportunity to tell a different story. And that was part of why I was thinking of it negatively was I was just, I mean, I hadn't given a lot of thought, but I was just imagining face Batista coming back against heel Hunter. And, you know, that's part of why the match wasn't appealing because it, it just felt played out. But a heel Batista just, there's all sorts of different things you can do, just like Brian turning heel, which has worked out better than I predicted. And Batista to me is, is a much less, um, uh, daunting uphill climb than Brian as far as getting fans to uh, to dislike him. In addition, I, I assume that Batista wants to put over Triple H since Triple H put him over a million times. And if that's the planned finish and, and the reason Batista wants to do this, um, it's, it's better for Hunter to be the face so that's a happy ending rather than um, you know than Hunter being the heel and and uh, and, and and beating Batista. I, I, I do wish that it was more like the previous era where. It was less meta and people suspend disbelief more because I think there may be an issue of people just cheering Batista anyway because, you know, what the hell, we like Batista, um, which I understand, but um, I think would sort of undermine the the ability of them to tell the story. So that that's a bit um, – a bit of an issue they're going to have to deal with. And that's just the nature of wrestling today. And also, you know, there was the issue of like the, the live crowd, you know, I thought the ending was great from a television standpoint, it's sort of a dramatic cliffhanger, but it was, you know, it, it you know, it, it was too bad for live crowd. Granted, the live crowd got a lot, but still, you know, I, I think like after the show, they, they should have carried Ric Flair to the ring on a stretcher after the show <laughs> ended. And like, then like he could wheeze out a few words. Or just, just give him a thumbs up. Just do the football thumbs up. Well, I, I was, I, I, yeah, I mean, you could do that too, but I'm imagining, you know, like, oh, thank you for coming. <laughs> Sorry, this went well. And then they could, you know, and then they could like attach a balloon to his wrist, you know, for like the birthday theme and then play his music and carry him back to, you know, back on the stretcher with the balloon. You know, that way you, you still get the live celebration. So something like that I thought would have been nice, but, um, you know, what can you do? Yeah. I've always thought from the second Batista was like being pushed and like that, that he was someone I wanted to watch anytime he's on the screen. I mean, I think he's very, he's just one of the more subtle, sophisticated actors and naturals, um, on the screen. And, and I'm not surprised as a result, he, he's, he's succeeding, um, in, in movies. You, by the way, you'll get more credit from me on that account because it took me longer to, uh, to figure that one out. I, and my, my initial thought on the big Batista push was, okay, they mistimed the Randy Orton thing, so they're just gonna try it with this other guy. And it, it caught, it caught fire, but I, for a while, thought that was, um, a lot of it was just the, the, a very well executed story and a lot of good people around him making it come through. Um, I think, Ultimately, you've been you've been vindicated in uh, <laughs> in that belief, but I'll make you look smarter by uh, by accepting that I, I was I was not ahead of the curve on that one. <laughs> Sounds good. I appreciate it. Uh, so I am absolutely looking forward to him 
as a heel, and I've I've enjoyed him so much more as a heel. Um, and I am interested. Absolutely. In, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I am interested in the crowd response. I'm interested in Triple H and Batista putting their heads together on this because it's not just about having a WrestleMania match. It's not just about Batista coming back to have some fun on the on the baseball field again after being away for a while. It's also, and I hope they put some consideration to this. A and I don't want to give away the series that you recommended recently, but I, there's that scene at the end where the characters kind of merge on the street. There's like that they come together, and I want all the Triple H characters in all these different timeline continuums to just m- like somehow merge in this feud. So at after WrestleMania, we know when Triple H shows up, it's it's one guy. It's not the NXT, you know, the head of NXT. It's not the guy who's not playing subservient to Stephanie. It's not the heel authority. Like I I want this it. To end up with a babyface Triple H who just represents the same thing, ever, no matter what the context is, and I think that that this journey may maybe get us there. Am I being too optimistic, or is that not even a good goal, Todd? Well, I mean, you you know my answer on the uh, on the the second part because I was just talking about that last week. Um, but <laughs> as far as whether whether we're likely to get there, I'm I guess I'm more of a pessimist on that one than you are. In that, I think the reason why they flip back and forth with Triple H is that they view the authority figures as existing to advance whatever story they're trying to tell at that point. And the, the consistency of the way that the story, authority figures act isn't of particular importance to them in the way that they're thinking about the stories. And so I don't, I don't view that changing moving forward. And the strongest argument I could see for more consistency in the Triple H character would just be Triple H taking agency and saying, look, I gotta have more consistency in my character here. Yeah. And he hasn't done that to this point. So I don't, I, I don't, see like a, a strong reason to expect that to happen until he has more, you know, more wide standing control over over the way that he's uh, presented when he takes over. And you've long been an advocate uh, because you think Stephanie is a natural baby face and such a likable on air personality of her finally going baby face. And, and this is an I, opportunity I loved, to get there. I loved her in 2002, 2003 as the, you know, as the baby face GM. So I think I think people would would enjoy that. You know, would enjoy that return. <laughs> so, um, okay. Uh, one more thing on, on Triple H Batista. Uh, is this, how big of a match is this for WrestleMania? How big of, of a return is Batista as a special attraction compared to where he was a couple years ago or five years ago? Um, in this regard, is this something that they can just go, all right, we got Lesnar doing his thing with Seth. We got Ronda Rousey, um, defending the title. And we've got Triple H Batista and whatever else is just bonus. Is, is that, is, are we at that point or do you still need a good John Cena match and something else extra spat, something else extra that's, wouldn't be found on a regular show to feel like WrestleMania? I'm going to give you a very unsatisfying answer and say it depends on how big you're envisioning the show to be. I mean, I think that WrestleMania has a certain cachet about it, given that it's on the network. You know, it doesn't, you know, it's not like you're going to, you know, you're, you need to worry about whether you're going to get 700,000 buys or 900,000 buys. So that's not as big of a concern. Um, I think that the show is presently constituted is enough to not feel like a disappointment but not enough to feel like a particularly epic wrestlemania yeah. and i think if they of the options that they have for adding stuff i don't know that there's um anything they really have that would make it feel epic i think 
uh, not to belabor the point, but I think the one potential they had to make this feel like a really, really memorable WrestleMania would be that Becky versus Ronda one-on-one match and, uh, and building it up that way. But that, that ship has, uh, a lot has long since sailed. Yeah. Yeah. And our, uh, my Twitter poll at, at PW torch, 1100 votes in 30 and, and this is about Batista triple H. Um, are you excited about it? Hopefully you didn't lead all the people one direction this way again. Uh, well, I'll read my wording. Are you excited about the Triple H versus Batista match that appears to be happening at WrestleMania? Again, going out on a limb there. Um, 37% say build up yes, match no. 38% build up and match. So 75% looking forward to the build up, split on whether they're excited about the match. Um, 2%, and I love this, they're not excited about the build up, but they're excited about the match. <laughs> And then uh, 23% said neither focus on youth. So within the parameters of Twitter, those are the options I gave. I think that's encouraging. Um, you know, an encouraging. I, I think it's. I think it's encouraging too. Wade, yeah. you outlined a fair question. <laughs> that's it, it. Makes it restores my faith in your ability to do a fair question. <laughs> on. Um, I did ask also uh, 1,200 votes in on this one. How did you feel about the finish to Raw and the Ric Flair 70th birthday party? And 67% did say it was a great surprise angle. Um, 16% voted for my, my, uh, loaded answer of Hunter stealing a moment and, uh, 17% had mixed feelings. So. Yeah. And as far as the, the, the match goes, I am in the, uh, in the excited for the build, not so much for the match camp. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't imagine that match being, uh, being a, a great bun, but we'll see. I can't wait for like Shawn Michaels and Leo Rush to run in the ring and take all the bumps for them. Or something. Oh yeah, you're definitely gonna get some bells and whistles on that one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so um, trying to think of and oh, I, too. As far as a Flair birthday party goes, like yes, it felt like okay, they built it up, and you didn't get to see Flair other than strut out of the out of the limo, and then get you know beat or you got to see the end result of him being beat down. Uh, but the fact that they had Sting and Steamboat, and to a lesser extent Shawn Michaels, and a much lesser extent Kurt Angle, but they had these these four names there, it. It, like sometimes WWE has a tendency, if we're not going to do a match, we're not going to build it up because it's going to not really happen. And it sort of is a tell. And here they really built it up. Like I think having Steamboat and Sting out there made it more surprising that there was an angle that did not lead to Ric Flair coming to the ring to interact with those people who he has such a history with. And I like that move. I thought that was, that was an effort that was worth going to, even if ultimately it was just for ring entrances. And then they just sort of stood there as Triple H ran to the back. Yeah, that isn't something that I thought of, but uh, that's a good point. I agree. The uh, other big item, but I think clear number three, is Ronda Rousey laying down the belt in the middle of the ring because her argument is if I can't defend it against Becky and she's the one who deserves it, then this championship doesn't mean what I need a championship to mean for me to hold it. Um, so she's taking a stand for Becky opposite of Stephanie and uh, and walks out. Um, and there were some interesting lines in there, including Ronda saying, unlike all these other wrestlers who you give just enough to so that they have to keep coming back, I'm not one of those people. I can walk out and be just fine. Um, interesting, uh, interesting line to be delivered on television. Cause I, I just, there, I imagine people in the back sometimes just like half listening and they're like, whoa, oh yeah, that is kind of how they treat us. So, uh, brave of them to let that be out there, but it also shows their, their confidence that it would not affect them negatively. But anyway, uh, those are some talking points for me or some of my initial thoughts. what do you think? I thought that it was uh, largely a good angle. I, uh, I mean, Ronda has the issue of of in these promos where I mean, 
it's good, good and bad. The good is she has this great intensity about her, um, and really conveys emotion, what she's doing and, and makes it feel like she believes in it. And, and the bad is she, you know, clearly scripts these things out, um, backstage with, you know, with help from Paul Heyman, whoever else. And they, and then goes out there and, and has trouble, you know, just trying to cram all these words into like this space. And it's as just you, this, as you say this, Todd, can you begin talking faster and faster and faster to the point that we all become uncomfortable? <laughs> yeah. You know, now that you bring that up, I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't necessarily be the one to, you know, to, uh, uh, to be telling other people to slow it down. But, um, I, I do think that, you know, I, I don't think, I think that she would benefit a lot from a bullet point approach as opposed to this, this scripting approach where she has these weird lines written in there that I just don't think she'd say if she hadn't, um, written them out and thought them out in advance. And then she has to figure out, you know, remember to say them the way that she wants. And then it just creates this, you know, this, this chaos. And then there's just, you know, the, the downside, which is, you know, and again, I thought it was, I thought it was good in advancing the story they're telling, but it, it goes to what I, you know, I was just saying a, a, a moment ago about WrestleMania. I think there's, you know, there would be a, they could have done a great job of this story of Becky Lynch, this person that everybody likes, Ronda Rousey, this powerful, unstoppable force from another world who's come in here. She's beaten everybody. She, you know, she thinks she can, she's cocky. She's going to beat Becky. Everybody thinks she's going to beat Becky because she's, you know, she's the, you know, she's the real one. Becky, you don't want to frame it that way, but you know, she's, she's, uh, you know, she's a badass. Becky isn't going to be able to compete with her and can Becky go up there and take on this mainstream star in this gigantic showdown where everybody wants Becky to win and instead it's a story where you know yeah Becky wants it both of them and Charlotte's kind of cock is cocky and you know Rhonda has integrity and she wants to look out for what's best for the show and she's sort of caught in the middle and she doesn't like Becky but she's a good person too and it's just there's not there, there isn't the, the visceral, you know, I gotta see this fight between these two people and I know who I wanna win. Yeah. And that, that to me is the core of what pro wrestling should be. And, and what they're executing, I think they're doing a, a, a perfectly fine job of executing it. It's just as I've, you know, I've argued passionately, a, a, a far, you know, a, a vastly inferior, um, concept for getting people invested in a match. I, I'm with you on that too. Um, do you think the line uh, "Ginger Douche" was in the script? Yes. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, she, uses, she uses. I was surprised you thought otherwise. Yeah. I, I, she uses little salty things with a lot of you know. She's used that in you know a number yeah. of things where it's sort of like you know PG thirteen, yeah. and it was just such a weird line that uh, you know th- that it was you know it, it felt like okay this one I'm gonna call her it's gonna be real clever I'm gonna call her that <laughs> and uh, you know oh I really got her like you know yeah. on, the, on the Twitter thing right before Becky comes back and drops an anvil on her so yeah exactly. yeah, I, I, yeah I mean I I, uh, okay. I I I definitely thought a script I mean. I could be wrong, but like yeah. you know, if you if you ask me to give percentages on it, my percentage of uh, is very very high in terms of confidence. Yeah, interesting. All right, uh, let's see. I had a follow up uh, other than that, and I can't remember what it was, so maybe I'll insert it awkwardly later if I think of it. Um, okay, yeah. So anything else on uh, on Raw is kind of a, a, a where you had uh, something especially uh, in your mind to talk about. I'm glad you said especially rather than like 
adding another word like important or noteworthy yeah, or something yeah. like that because I, I don't have a I don't have anything that rises to that level. Yeah. But it is on my mind. I and this this was such a small little moment, but they had that moment out there where Dean and 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 Elias are talking back and forth, and Dean says something, and Elias decides I'm going to attack this man, and in advance of attacking him, he like winds up and lets out this yell like ah, <laughs> and before his charge, I thought it was just such a great cartoonish thing to do of just this heel character who like telegraphs the whole thing in the most like flamboyant way and then of course Dean just lays him out because what sort of idiot you know like yells it right before their big charge I I got such a kick out of that I, I had a, a hearty laugh um so if that was intended uh props to uh props to Elias on that one do you think they're doing uh, Finn Balor any favors by talking about what a gutsy win he had over Leo Rush, who was treated as a joke? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't let you finish. Let it finish. No, no, I was pretty much done, and your your uh, talking over me uh, emphasized your point in an effective <laughs> way. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll, well, oh, go I'll remember that and try to do that more often. Yeah, well, you know, it, within reason. I mean, it can become obnoxious pretty quick too. Just letting you know. All right. Uh, how about uh, week two of Alistair Black and Ricochet and uh, the poor revival? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, not, not, it was just, you know, taking advantage of the, uh, the new people and giving them wins. I, I, they haven't done a great job with the revival. They haven't done a great job with the tag team titles, but yeah. I mean, I mean, that's just WWE standard booking. It, it, are Alistair Black and Ricochet deserving? I don't know that, you know for lack of a better word that I'm coming up with on the spot here, deserving or would they benefit from a a more meticulously planned debut that doesn't involve being in the tag team division that unfortunately has been greatly defined down by, you know, the types of things we saw with the Ascension and Heavy Machinery, uh, the tag champs jobbing out, and it's just not a division where main event wrestlers spend time. And I think Ricochet and Aleister Black could have been had a greater impact on the main roster had they not been introduced the way that they are. Yes, they're winning, and yes, they're talking about them in glowing terms and showing highlight videos and getting across who they are. But I feel like they're, they've also been defined down the last couple of weeks in a way that will will take some uh, – they have to dig themselves out of. The tag team division certainly doesn't help them, and I agree with you that that's the way it's it's framed. I don't think the damage really comes until they start trading the wins back and forth. It'll come, and at yeah. that point they'll be defined down. But I don't think at this point where they're just beating tag teams, I don't think, I don't think, I think you rarely lose much from beating other people, no matter how they're framed um, in wrestling or in life. Um, uh, but unless if, it's Finn know, Balor beating Leo Rush. Well, no, I mean, even there, I mean, I, I obviously say that in jest, but um, I mean, the, the issue was the framing of it, yeah, right? That's you know, yeah. like that it was this gutsy win against this guy who wasn't established very much. Yeah. At this point, these guys have just been beating people and it hasn't been like, oh, like, can you believe they survived the mighty revival? I mean, I guess, I guess the, the thing with Black and Gargano had elements of that last week, but on balance, I don't, I don't think that them, Beating these people is is uh, is doing any harm at the point that they're trading wins back and forth with revival, which I do expect. Um, yeah, then all the things you bring up um, become uh, become uh, a, a problem, and you'd like to you know you'd like to see them do more with them. But I mean, who with with Vince's current booking, who really is getting on the the, the path into you know like the the right lane? I mean, they yeah. regardless of you know where you enter in the card, you tend to end up in the same place. So you know. 
All right, so anything else from Raw? No. All right, so let's switch to SmackDown. We open with Stephanie McMahon and Shane McMahon in the ring. Daniel Bryan sitting on a leather chair, which Stephanie kindly pointed out, which was actually a pretty funny moment. And uh, and then right as Kofi's about to sign the contract, uh, Vince McMahon's music played. And I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I yelled at the TV, Kofi, sign it! Sign it! Don't turn around! But he stopped signing it and turned around. He'll regret that maybe the rest of his life. And we get the Vince that, McMahon. I, I, I highly doubt that one. <laughs> you don't think so? You don't think he'd want Because no. if he signed the contract, the match has to happen. One on one. Well, that's true, but I mean, I, I my, I mean, my guess here, and again, you know, sometimes um, I don't see these things very through very well with Batista and Triple H. But my <laughs> expectation is Kobe is in fact going to get his title shot at some point in the near future. I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on that yeah, one. Yeah. Um, so, nevertheless, uh, we get Vince McMahon uh, kind of doing a, a bit of a parallel construction on what he did with Charlotte and Becky, and putting some chosen one in to take the spot for the sake of box office. Um, what do you think of this? Uh, this this uh, swerve on the road to, through Kofi Mania. Yeah, I mean it's been uh, it's been a we've talked about how it's been a weird WrestleMania season, and and this was another weird little uh, weird little switch. I, I think I think the audible that and I certainly am assuming this is an audible um, that Vince called here is on balance a good idea. You know, it feels to me like Vince you know the Vince just decided to switch Owens and Kofi's spots because of uh because of how Kofi's getting over. So Owens goes from wrestling for the title at Mania to wrestling for it at Fastlane and Kofi goes from wrestling for the title at Fastlane to wrestling for the title at, at Mania. And yeah, I, I, I Kofi's connected well with the crowd. I think people are into that. I think people want more of that right now, regardless of, of how you pay it off in the end. And I think going stronger with that right now is, is the right move. Plus, from a booking standpoint, Owens was going back at, at WrestleMania. He was in a, a tough spot because I don't think they'd want to put the title on him in his first big match back. But challenging Brian at Mania and coming up short, would hurt him, particularly given, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is his first program as a babyface in WWE. So here they can work on a finish that builds into Mania, you know, and then it doesn't feel like a newly turned babyface Owens is failing in his first big match. On the flip side, in terms of like the pros and cons of what they did, the, the downside is it's, I don't think it's great for Owens' character. If he's coming back as a babyface, stealing this non-earned title shot from Kofi sure doesn't endear him to the fans. And if he's coming back as a heel, those babyface vignettes, you know, weren't you know weren't great for the uh, the cause of getting people to dislike him. And I think I think ultimately Owens recognizes the right thing to do is to help Kofi get his title shot at Mania, and that's what establishes Owens as a face. But even there, there's a par- you know a peril in terms of the way you characterize that because you don't want a top babyface um giving up the opportunity to go for the title himself that sort of defines that that person down putting aside the decision itself to uh to go with with kofi rather than owens at mania i I wasn't a fan of the framing of it you know it was this whole meta booking conversation again rather than talking about people earning title shots through wins and losses the, the conversation about Kofi at the beginning is how he's underappreciated how the fans made it happen how he deserved it and 
all that's basically premised around it being a work. You know, an athlete doesn't fail to reach the top because they're underappreciated. They fail to reach the top because they don't win the biggest matches. And that's what happened in Kofi's career from a work standpoint. He didn't win his biggest matches and the fans didn't make his title shot happen. Kofi did that by beating Brian multiple times. And I think that's a much more satisfying character to tell the story, uh, story rather, to tell this, you know, to tell the story of this guy who had fallen short in the past, but people really like him. And now he's finally gathering momentum. He's finally getting these big wins and he's going to beat this guy on the big stage for the title and prove that he, that he, he was always that good. And that, that puts so much more investment in the actual match rather than this, you know, this meta, like, what are we going to hand these people? If fans rally enough, we'll book them stronger thinking that I think, um, undermines a lot of the things that they're doing. And then there's just like, if you're Vince McMahon, and you've had all of these issues with fans not <laughs> reacting well to your booking ideas. The last thing I'd want to do is to book a story that encourages people to get angry at Vince McMahon for not booking people the way that they want. I mean, it's a, it's an open invitation for everybody to apply that same analysis to everything else that's going on. And Vince McMahon has lots of ideas that aren't, you know, that, that, that aren't as popular with the fan base as the things that he's pretending to not want right now. So it's yeah. it's almost like he's co-opting reality into a storyline so we can say I meant to do this. Um like if his, about- if his reputation is he doesn't listen to the fans even though he said in December he was going to start doing that. Um but the reputation is well when someone gets over WWE, you know the Daniel Bryan thing was real life and CM Punk to an extent he heard a lot of that and Becky just went through with it. Now it's sort of like well let's take that and let's just let's just turn that into a storyline so at least I'm steering the I'm at the wheel steering it and it looks like this is what I wanted. It's sort of like the spin on well as long as the top guys get a reaction that's all we care about. Well they wouldn't say that if the guy who they position as a babyface who the announcer in the narrative frame as a baby face in a heavy-handed way wasn't getting booed. They would say, but let's say the competition had their top baby face getting mixed reactions. They wouldn't go, well, all that counts is a mixed reaction. They would go, no, we, we know what we're doing. That's why our top guys are getting cheered. So in a way, it feels like they're sort of creating almost a, a, a character trait of Vince McMahon that is just sort of resigning themselves to the idea that, well, this is what's happening, so let's try to own it. But wait, wait, the problem with that is, is, is what I was trying to get at with my point, which is that idea only works if you continue to do that moving forward. Yeah. And Vince McMahon, I don't think in the future is going to be any more, um, likely to turn over, um, turn over his vision to fans than he has been in the past. It's been, you know, he's done that kicking and screaming, you know, throughout. And I don't think in the future he's going to say, okay, you know, it, it, I, I'm not it, advocating think, it, and I'm not saying it's part of a long-term game plan. I'm just trying to get inside the head of Vince McMahon in terms of what might have triggered him doing it this way. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, but I mean, if it's going to become a narrative going forward, then you know, you need a follow-up, and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, sometimes we'll, we'll I don't think past, like. I try to think, why would he do this? And I don't really like. I'm not even necessarily going. And now I need to understand why he thinks this is a good idea or how he's going to make it sustainable. Like I didn't even get to that stage of this. I'm just like, why is he doing this? And I, that that's where I kind of was. And you were actually kind of ahead of me on it and just going, whatever the motivation, this is sort of not really a sustainable thing. And it's unlikely to be something that, that can work going beyond this. 
Well, the re- the reason why I'm looking at it this way is that you're framing it as sort of a narrative for Vincent Mann, and a narrative is an is an ongoing thing, as opposed to, you know, the the reason you book a specific segment on a specific show. Um, that that's different than than a larger story that you're trying to sell to the world. Yeah. So is Kofi? Um, is he like? Oh, have fun with it for two months. But then, you know, he kind of settles back down in a new day or, or, you know, U.S. title or some personal feud. Or is there something here with Kofi where you're like, he might actually be a guy who for two, three, four years or five or six even at his age, um, can be like a, a unexpected top tier guy who sort of has this, this unexpected chapter in his career that, that rises above the level he had been portrayed for the first 12. I mean, in the, in the world where, you don't really have anyone that, that's that big of a star. It doesn't, it doesn't really, you can put anybody in that position really because the old, you know, the old metrics of the people that are at the top of the card need to bring in higher ratings, need to bring in more house show attendants, need to sell mer- more merchandise or the whole, you know, the whole house of cards collapses doesn't really apply with so much built in, re- built in revenue. So, you know, in that, you know, in that world, you can, yeah, you can absolutely go with Kofi Kingston. If people are into it, sure, you can, uh, you know, just, you know, do what, what the people who are watching right now enjoy and it doesn't have too much of an effect one way or another. In, you know, in the, the, I always, I hesitate because I, I'm always thinking of wrestling in terms of how you can raise the popularity of this thing and, I think there are a lot of things that Vince has been doing for a while that have prevented him from the popularity of the product rising. And so you just see, you know, declines or plateaus, declines or plateaus. And there are a lot of things where I don't think doing them is really going to make that much of a difference in terms of like whether things are going to decline or plateau. It's just, you know, it's just another thing you're doing. But if you're looking for things to improve, I just, I can't imagine them, you know, business improving with Kofi Kingston on top. And that's not a knock on, on Kofi Kingston because it's not some sort of abstract view of Kofi's potential. It's the fact that he's been booked as a, you know, a prelim to mid-card act for a decade. And when you frame somebody at that level for such a long period of time, you, you send a very, you know, a very, very strong implicit message to everybody watching about the importance of this person, about the star power of this person. And at that point, I think it's very, very hard to then get people to view not, hey, we like this person, but this person is somebody special. This person is somebody that I need to tune in to see. I need to tune in to see this person have their biggest matches. I want to go to the show to see this person wrestle for the title. That that sort of threshold, I think, is is very difficult to attain in general. But Kofi, they've done so much work in the opposite direction for such a long period of time that I – I just don't think it's possible to do that at this point. And so, you know, if I'm thinking about people um, that are uh, that I want on top of the show, my mentality is find people that you can use that are going to have the potential to turn things around. I don't view Kofi in that role, so it's not something I'd really be looking to uh, to do. And again, I, I really want to emphasize this point because Vince often gets caught up in this idea of like, oh, that person can't be a star at this certain level because he's short or he's fat or, you know, he isn't, a, you know, a good, uh, a good enough talker or he's got red hair or he's a vegan or, you know, he's from Switzerland or, you know, whatever reason you have for not doing it. Don't ever and, compare me to the Swiss. <laughs> 
And it, it's certainly my, – my point is certainly not, again, that there's anything disqualifying about Kofi himself, but rather that if you want to frame somebody as being special, it you, you, you really need to frame that person as being special. And there's there's a difference between that this idea of just, you know, well, they're on the show for a while and they trade wins back and forth and we kind of like them and so we give them the title. And, and th- that has sort of become so, you know, very – Wrestling fans, WWE fans have become very accustomed to that, you know, in recent years. But that, that's a very different thing than the special star that brings in audiences, that brings in larger audiences, that makes people tune in. And I, I just, I think the, the, the issue is the way that the person has, has been framed. And at some point, you know, you just, that, there's nothing you really can do at that point to make, to make the person, um, be perceived as, as, uh, as, as something uh, as something much bigger. Uh, what do you think? Uh, where do you think this is going with Kevin Owens? And and if this was an audible, did they do a disservice to Kevin Owens and having him, if his goal is to be a babyface, accept these circumstances because he's accepting a title shot that he did not earn. That almost seems like Vince McMahon spiting Kofi or spiting the fans, if not spiting Hunter and Stephanie. Maybe it turns out that's something that they play up a little bit more over time, uh, or not. But it is, I mean, to me, Kevin Owens is like accepting a trophy for a contest he wasn't in and, and going, well, you know, I mean, what am I going to do? The boss, I work for the boss and he must give this to me. I'd be dumb not to take it. I, I, I feel like I already hit this. Yeah, I, oh, I'm I mean, sorry. I think- okay. I think it, I think it does undermine him. Yeah. And I think the way that they're going to try to dig out of that is that ultimately him turning a baby face is going to be him recognizing that and helping Kofi get his title shot in whatever way that, that happens. Yeah. And that's when you said that, that's what I made note to ask this because how do you dig out of it? I mean, that, I guess that's kind of where I'm coming from is he already this week just went, okay. And at the scene at the end of SmackDown seemed as if, Kevin Owens was in a nice way telling a dejected Kofi, I'll make this right. And it was sort of the off mic moment. And I like that. I like when you're rewarded for paying attention to detail and body language. And like with Batista, Kevin Owens is a master at, I mean, he's really, really good at this. And, and there's no, mis- there's no accidents or mistakes with him. And you generally get rewarded for paying attention to that. Chris Jericho was like that too. Um, and, and others, uh, not just three, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> if Wade did not name you, you do not reach that status. I don't think you do. Why? Well, right. Jericho sort of, sort of random, like Batista's in the news and, and, and you know, it, in this way. And we're talking, so it's like, it sounds like I might say it's an exhaustive list when I just bring up the third person, but nevertheless, like I, I, I don't, Yasi, do not even <laughs> think about claiming you or have the status. <laughs> so uh, to me, and I don't want to be too harsh here, but I don't know that I'm ever going to forgive Kevin Owens for this. <laughs> yeah, I, I often, you know, say things like that about like characters and in, in things. Like, you, yeah. you know, there 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 come points where a character does something where it's very difficult for them to attain uh, re- redemption. I think in terms of like what they're going to try to do, I mean, I think it's going to be a variation on this pattern. Uh, Owens and Owens and, and Owens, you know, there's some sort of controversy in the match at, at, at Fastlane. Owens and Kofi are both in contention for a title shot. Kofi cuts a number of promos talking about how important it is to him. The New Day guys talk with with Owens and talk about how important it is to him. They have a tag match that's supposed to decide it. Kofi's the one who gets the pin rather than Kevin Owens. Vince McMahon says 
Kevin Owens is getting the title shot anyway. He offers up the contract. Kevin Owens acts like he's going to sign and he gives it Kofi Kingston. Kofi Kingston signs it instead. Something like that. That's yeah. not intended to be like I, I don't even know that I like the scenario that much <laughs> right. for a number of reasons, but that, some variation on that is, I think, where this is leading. I, I want to compliment to uh, uh, with caveats the, the commentary during the tag match because it felt like the tag match was there to you know fill fifteen sixty minutes of TV time, but it was also a backdrop for a lot of conversation about what happened earlier, and that's good. I mean, that you want the announcers when there's a big storyline at the beginning with a big twist to reflect on it and talk on it. And I thought there was some like for WWE standards, some good debate um, where uh, you know Graves said McMahon has his eye in the box office when he books matches, and Saxon said, "Well, yeah, McMahon has a good track record, but it doesn't change the fact that Kofi got screwed." And boy, was Byron worked up about this, um, but actually in a good way. I mean, I, I don't think it was cartoonishly so. I think he just was like channeling uh, the fans or conveying how the fans felt, and I think that's good to have somebody in commentary who does that. Uh, and then, and then even when Graves compared Kofi to Becky Saxton astutely said the difference is Kofi didn't do anything to prompt this change. You know, say what you will about Becky and deserving it and all that, but Kofi just stood by and this happened where Becky kind of, you know, made some moves where it kind of, not that she was asking for it, but it sort of did trigger some some reaction. And then even Saxton later on brought up, you know, what baffles him is Kevin Owens punched Vince once. Like, there, there's a history there, and they were wondering aloud how long did Owens know about this? You know, when when was he... Uh, aware that this was going to happen. He was at SmackDown. And so they're asking a lot of questions and having a debate. And I think it, it was the ideas and thoughts bouncing around in people's heads. And I, I thought that was good. Like I thought that there was a higher level of, of discussion and some points being brought up that sometimes people are thinking in their head, but WWE doesn't, the announcing doesn't service the fans in that way by going, we, the announcers are having the same thoughts as you. We're not just robots. Yeah, I understand the point you're making. And certainly I think there's a, uh, you know, they, they benefit from having the announcers feeling like they're thinking on their feet rather than just sort of, you know, hitting talking points and hitting, uh, hitting, uh, hitting the, the, the buzzwords that they have to. I, to be honest, I was not as high on the announcing on this particular show. I always know it's an uphill climb if I compliment WWE announcing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I did my even best in this there. Context, <laughs> but I, 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 I get the, uh, I get the broader point that you're making even if I'm, uh, I'm, I'm reluctant to, uh, to endorse this. Um, you know, the, the, I, I was, I, I was, I was trying to avoid like just sort of arguing against it because like, you know, whatever, but, um, <laughs> I, I thought, I thought Byron was, was kind of over the top in a way that, that made him look kind of manic. Um, and the argument ultimately was this, you know, this annoying meta argument, which I mean, I guess is sort of the, the cards that they're dealt. But if I'm, if I'm in that position, I'm trying to steer it towards this guy earn this thing. He, he shouldn't have it taken away given that he's beaten Brian a couple of times and Kevin Owens has been on the shelf. I think, I think that, that speaks to the, you know, to the point much more directly than, you know, the meta stuff. Well, but I thought that was, I, I agree there was meta stuff in there, but Saxton saying Kofi got screwed. They, they were saying Kofi got screwed. They're not saying Kofi got screwed because Kofi's a bigger box office draw than Kevin Owens and Vince is wrong. They're saying Kofi got screwed because he earned this match. And, and Were they? Because I think they were, I think they were saying the other thing. Well, they did, I, I, I did, one thing I didn't I think, like. I think, I mean, I think they were saying he got screwed because the fans wanted to see him in the match and the fans aren't getting what they want. I think that was sort of the, if you had to boil it down to what the story they were telling, that's, I think the story they were telling. In the con, when Graves says McMahon has his eye on box office when he books matches and Saxton said that that doesn't change the fact that Kofi got screwed, I, I think the implication there, and I, I don't think it's a leap, is 
Saxton is saying Kofi got screwed because he earned it and that it should be about merit. I would like him to more explicitly say that, and it is a fault of WWE. They don't say that very often, and that should be a bigger part of what's weaved into commentary. And I I, I didn't bring this up because it didn't help my case, uh, but Graves did <laughs> did later on in commentary um, say the more that I, the more support the more that I hear the fans cheer for Kofi, the more I think McMahon made a mistake. And I I thought now that that's. I, good, it's good of you, Grace, to admit that, but it's probably not the best. I don't think the fans think the louder we cheer someone, they should get a title shot. I think the fans are cheering Kofi because they think he earned a title shot. And so that, that I thought was a weaker part of the commentary later, and I would have tweaked that, but. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so there were a f- couple other things on SmackDown, uh, worth note, noting, uh, the Hardy Boys reuniting. Any, uh, any thoughts on that and where that's heading? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, we can move on then. And how about the R Truth segment with Andrade and Ray? I mean, I, I, it doesn't, I think, Drew, do anyone any favors to be embroiled in these feuds with R Truth over the U.S. title. And I think whatever happens, I think at WrestleMania there's going to be some variation of this where other people are feuding with each other are also thrown in with R Truth for the U.S. title. And I just, I, I, I don't like that construction on, on a number of levels. Yeah. Um, do you think our truth in John Cena is a possibility at WrestleMania? No. Good. Thank you. Um, nor do I. <laughs> I but I, I did get a kick out of, uh, truth saying he's enjoyed John Cena since he's a little tyke. Um, anything, oh, Charlotte's heel promo. Any thoughts on that? Charlotte's confidence as a heel continues to be great. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's very much, um, the right, the right, uh, the right role for her and, uh, she's more effective in, in that way. I didn't like the message though. Like she, a top heel shouldn't be saying that she knows her lane and she stays in it. That's, that's an awful message for a top heel. A, a top heel should be powerful and da- well, I mean, you can have a number of different types of top heels, but like there should be a power, a dangerousness and arrogance about Charlotte. She should not be a, a proud and willing subordinate to the authority figures. I thought that that was a terrible way to frame her. Now, it- not this isn't so much a defense of it, but trying to maybe hone in on why they have her do that if they thought about it. Is there not heat to be generated from saying, I'm a dutiful corporate employee who is doing what the authority figures that you dislike want and not being a free spirit and independent minded like Ronda Rousey laying the belt down in protest in front of Stephanie and Becky Lynch, you know, getting arrested for, for, for showing up when she shouldn't. Is there not heel heat in this WWE environment and society today and, in sort of flaunting the idea that, yeah, I'm kind of an, a, a, a kiss up uh, to, to, to management and, and I know what they're looking for and I deliver that. Of course there's heat in that, but that's heat that's going to the McMahons more than to the, to Charlotte, and that's the whole point. If you want, if you want a star heel, the star heel shouldn't be a, a subordinate to the non-wrestlers. Yeah, okay, fair enough, yep. Uh, anything else from SmackDown? By the way, the, 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 the heel who is, um, the heat is, oh, they're just a stooge for 
the uh, for the authority figures like the Stooges. That's a that's a fine heel role, but that's a mid card heel role or a lower mid card heel role. The top heel should not be yeah. the person that just does whatever the authority figures want. The Rock, when he was breaking out and was attached to the commands, didn't and and he did you know he did bill himself as a corporate champion, but his promos did not consist of how of saying how he he does whatever Vincent Man wants and or whoever the authority figures were were at that point. I think it would have Vincent Man, um, or yeah, because um, I'm, I'm pausing because then Vince was a was a was a babyface there for a little bit. But um, <laughs> however that thing was, uh, now I'm sort of working this through because like <laughs> it, it, Survivor Series '98, <laughs> The Rock and Shane and Vince are all are all heels together, right? So The Rock is the corporate champ with Vince and Shane, and then. Vince is sympathetic because the Undertaker is going after Stephanie, and um, so he's a babyface in that time period. And then he turns back heel with the infamous. Um, I, I, by the way, I'm, I'm constructing a, a timeline here with my hands. It's it's, it's like <laughs> the, the timeline in the air. You, you can follow along at home if you if you could see. Um, and then he, you know, there's the infamous like the 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 higher power thing where he turns back heel. And so I'm sort of forgetting what exactly the relationship was with Vince and The Rock in that sort of middle part. I guess I guess the corporation was against the ministry, and then they later became the corporate ministry. So I guess. <laughs> Vince Russo booking people. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to look this up after we do the show <laughs> as to what exactly, you know, who exactly the rock was aligned with in that middle part there. Yeah. But point being the, the framing was not like the rock is a stooge. The framing was the rock is a star and yeah, he aligned himself with the authority figures, but the authority figures were also aligning themselves with the rock and the rock was the biggest star of the whole bunch. Okay. Yep. All right. Anything else from SmackDown? <laughs> Hopefully, I, I won't dr- get drawn into you know trying to figure out what, what the hell was going on with the you know the feud between the uh, the Horseman and Jeff Jarrett in 1997. Um, <laughs> <laughs> suddenly reconstruct the whole Kevin Owens Sami Zayn relationship as it relates to Seth, Kevin Owens and in Kofi Kingston right now and some parallel that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, last week's NXT TV show since we haven't seen this week's yet because it hasn't aired yet. As we're recording this, um, the uh, a big uh, a big match and a big moment. We we the two finishes film for the match, which was interesting, and we get uh, Velveteen Dream on top at the end. Yeah, another strong show. I thought two very good matches with with Strong versus Black at the beginning, and then Dream versus Gargano at the end. Uh, Dream winning the title got over big. You know, it was you know real real impressive reaction to it, and. Uh, the matches were uh the matches were strong i'm curious about where they go from here with the north american title in that north american titles now is really bounced around a lot since it was created and i think it would benefit from having a longer reign at some point here although it might be more likely to come with whoever beats dream rather than dream himself given i'm i'm kind of thinking dream may be called up um although think crossing my fingers that called uh, over um there you go yeah. called over yeah. um uh, well said, uh, Paul. Um, <laughs> you know, so yeah, the, the, that's uh, something to look at, and I uh, uh, monitor going forward rather. And uh, Shayna Baszler's rampage, I thought, also was. Uh, um, I just think I think that's been good. You know, that she's just out of control since Io Shirai beat her. It emphasizes the Shirai thing and and makes Baszler a uh, you know a, a strong character. And uh, 
you know, you know, again, obviously it's a very different character than, than, than the Charlotte one, but Baszler comes across as, you know, a real, you know, a real important figure in the context of the NXT show. What do you think of the sit down Matt Riddle interview with Jeremy Borash? So it was a, a different look for him on NXT. Um, or an, an expanded, a different setting and, and more, we heard more from him than, than usual. And it was a little different seeing him in that sitting down and, and talking at his own pace compared to kind of the, the energy of, of uh, standing in the, in the venue with fans. Yeah, I mean, it's between that and the, the Chronicle thing that they released on, uh, on Matt Riddle this, uh, this week. Yeah. He's, he comes across very likable. Um, and, and the balance is going to be, is going to be finding the right way to convey a, a, you know, a seriousness and a, uh, him really taking seriously whatever people are doing to him and, uh, and getting heat with that. And that's, you know, that's, that's what he's going to have to work on. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, he's, uh, he's hopefully he's working a lot on his, his acting in NXT. Cause I think that's the, uh, that's a big, the big key that he's going to have, um, moving forward. Yeah, the idea that he's glad he, he dispatched of Ono because he was ruining my good time was an interesting phrase to choose, but it, it might fit the spirit of his character. It is, it is, it's, it's blossoming or revolving or revealing itself. And, and, and it's, I'm, I'm, again, I'm big on wrestlers on journeys and Matt Riddle in NXT is absolutely a journey, just as Velveteen Dream has been, where you want, you don't see everything about them because you don't get the bio read to by the announcer telling you exactly how to feel. You're, you're watching this play out and you're, you're curious and it's like, you know, a watercolor painting that you, where you can't quite see what it's going to look like in the end. And every week that goes by, a few more, a few more zones get filled in. And that's what I feel we're getting with Riddle. It was, it was interesting too. This is, this is a little bit of a, uh, um, a different point, but it was, it was interesting watching that, that, um, that chronicle special on him talking about his uh, his switch over from UFC to uh to WWE and back when it happened because I, I you know I was very familiar with uh with Riddle during his uh his his time in the UFC and, and, and covered a number of his fights. My my thought when he was going to pro wrestling was okay, he'd earned a good amount of money through this fighting, um, and he had sort of like a you know a, a safety cushion that he could fall back on and apply himself to uh, wrestling for a little bit, and then hopefully it would take off afterwards. And him talking about it like it didn't it didn't seem that way. Like it seemed much more that like you know like it was uh, tough times there as his wife was you know wife was really working hard and and uh and doing a lot of stuff to get you know enough money coming in for for the kids and he was you know taking these pro wrestling shows and making you know next to nothing doing it to to get himself established and it it just seems like looking back at it it's such a crazy move and it's it's you know it's it's good for for wrestling fans that he ended up doing it cuz he's been a uh, a natural for it but um when you uh, when you look back at the decision and, and the way he describes it I I'm like wow this is a crazy decision I would have I would have tried to talk you out of it if I'd known this was the the way things were uh, were going back there <laughs> All right cool I haven't seen that yet but I I want to I want to watch that I just saw it on the menu um and was like I got to I got to hit play on this soon um the, uh, what was the other thing I was going to bring up from NXT or was that it? Oh yeah, the video package that I think got inserted into the show that wasn't originally on the format sheet, which is recapping what happened with the NXT wrestlers on, on Raw and SmackDown. It, it, it felt like they wanted to acknowledge it, but they weren't ready to own every detail and just kind of, here's what happened. And they tried to 
patch, fix any damage that was done. I think there was a phrase, uh, a couple phrases there where, oh yeah, um, with uh, the oh the former team of DIY joined forces yet again in a blast from NXT's past. That was that was a phrase where I was like, how are they going to characterize Gargano and Champa? Just kind of in a not a full alternate universe, but not quite in the timeline and evolution of of the story that they were telling. And I thought that was interesting to say the former team in a blast from the past, rather than saying they reunited officially and got along, like they treated it as a little side story that would now be forgotten about. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, although as far as me contributing anything, uh, unfortunately, first rule of Todd watching video packages is Todd doesn't watch video packages. <laughs> I thought that was like, for me, the really fascinating. I, I, I encourage you to go back and watch that because uh, coming out of Ron SmackDown, I was like, how are they going to handle this? And I had heard from an NXT person, they think they, they think they fixed the damage as well as they could. You know, like they, they feel, pr- they, they felt like they did what they needed to do to kind of get past the, that what some people thought was a bit of a debacle internally, especially with those two. Um, yeah, if you, if you, I mean, you, you sold me on it. If you, if you'd mentioned it before the show started, I would have been like, okay, yeah, I should watch that. Um, but you know, as, as the show was going on, I thought, oh, <laughs> video package. Yeah, <laughs> understood. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, cool. So let's see. We got through, uh, if there were, if there were not, you know, a, a billion hours oh, of wrestling totally. television every week, I would, I would definitely pay more attention to, uh, to video packages. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I know, I, I've, I, I run SmackDown when there's video packages. There's times where I'm like, let's see the production values. Most of the time, it's like, let me catch up on, let me catch up on, uh, on being 12 minutes behind, and 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 it gets pre-packed. Um, okay, so uh, what, what's up with New Japan? Uh, I've been, I've been trying to catch up on being 12 minutes behind for 13 years. <laughs> well, what? Yes. We're gonna talk some New Japan and USC, so we'll uh, start with New Japan. Yes, I mean, New Japan, there's been a number of shows this week, so there's a bunch of different points of interest. So, uh, Isuka had what was billed as his final match in a, a six-man tag, and it was fun. The story was that Tenzan, who had been friends with Isuka, um, back at the beginning of their, er, well, not be, uh, earlier in their careers, um, had wanted to, uh, certainly not the beginning of Isuka's career, um, back in, in 1964, um, the, you know, was that Tenzan wanted to make up with Isuka, and he tried and he tried and tried, and Isuka would tease that, that, that maybe this was getting through, and maybe he'd revert back to being Tenzan's friend, and then he just attacked Tenzan again, and finally Tenzan put puts an old t-shirt of their team on Iska. He hits an elbow off the top and he pins Iska. And so the match is over and Tenzan makes one last try to make amends. And finally, Iska shakes his hand. And then Iska attacks him and lays him out with the rest of Suzuki going and Iska wanders off. And I've heard people were down on this because they didn't reunite at the end, but I very much liked it. To me, Tenzan got his win because he beat Iska and he got Iska to, to shake his hand. But in the end, Iska was, was, uh, was still true to himself. I don't want him making buddies with Tenzan to be the end of the story. I want him to be last seen wandering off into the wilderness, attacking random passers-by. And so I enjoyed this. That was I see that as your next chapter in life. Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. <laughs> I very much like Isika. When we depart, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, we should shake hands, but then I do want to attack you and then wander off happily. Um, you know, that, that, that's, that's how I envision things. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I'm uh, smiling, but also a little nervous. 
Don't worry, it'll be it'll be it'll be a touching moment. You just like Tenzan, you'll you'll be happy with it overall. Um even if even if in in the moment it, you know there are some downsides to it. Yeah, there will so, be. Also this week, we also got two Honor Rising shows, which were, I thought, nothing special. Really, nothing in New Japan has been that good since the Dome show. Uh, but these were, you know, the shows were fine. Uh, first night, Will Ospreay defended the Never Openweight title against uh, Dolphin Castle. And it, it's sad to see Castle these days because while he has improved physically um, from before, it's clear he isn't what he used to be. And it really reminds me of watching – and you don't see this as much in pro wrestling. You see this more with uh, with athletes, although it occasionally happens with, with pro wrestlers. Like Terry Gordy sort of had this thing, although for very different reasons, um, you know, where – you see this, you know, this great athlete, a great performer in this instance, and he, you, he looks basically the same cosmetically, or the, the athlete looks the same cosmetically, but, you know, they've, they've suffered like an ACL, a basketball player suffered a, you know, a severe ACL injury, and they just, you know, they aren't that old, but they just can't, you know, they can't perform as well when the game starts. And that, that's, you know, hopefully, you know, there's a way for Castle's health to, to, to improve here, but, um, that's sort of how I view Castle at this point, unfortunately, which is a shame because he, you know, he was, he was so great. Um, anyway, Machio was pretty good. I mean, Osprey was crisp. He looked good. Again, they, uh, you know, they, they put him over strong. Um, Castle was, wasn't as good. Um, and it was the, the finish again was something we've seen a bunch of times with Osprey now, which is that there's this mentality that, you know, they're, they're trying to elevate Osprey clearly. And it's not just through winning and having high flying moves, but he has a real physicality about him. You know, when he wins, he does so violently with the, you know, with, with the kicks, with the, uh, with the, the offense at the end. It's, it's, you know, it's not like a, uh, you know, a, 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 a sort of flashy way of doing it. He really puts people out and it's establishing Osprey as, as somebody that, that you need to take seriously at a higher level. And I think it's, I think it's been well executed and it's important because Osprey is somebody that they need to, uh, um, they need to elevate. I mean, he's one of the, I mean, I think he's the key guy this year besides Jay White that, um, I would put into that, uh, uh that, that I would, you know, underline is, is wanted to do that with. And then Jeff Cobb beat Hiroki Goto to retain the ROH TV title. Uh, this is also pretty good. Work was solid. It did feel like a bit of an abrupt ending, but, um, you know, it was good while it lasted. Second night, Jay Lethal beat TK Orion to retain the ROH title. The announcer spent a lot. A good amount of time on, on the two shows putting over Orion as something special because he was getting the title shot and, you know, trying to sell the idea this is a guy that's, you know, really, you know, there's a lot of potential in that he's, you know, that he's improving, that he's going to be something, um, something big. And, you know, you watch the match and, you know, it, it, it didn't feel like it was taking in that regard. You know, the crowd was, was flat. The match was just okay. It, it didn't feel like an important, match, unfortunately. Then the Gorillas of Destiny won the uh, IWGP's tag titles from Sonata and Evil with uh, a lot of help from Giotto. I thought that was the best match of the uh, of the bunch. I thought it was a fun match. Uh, they have good chemistry together. Good title match. And then uh, the Briscoes beat Juice Robinson and Finley to retain the ROH tag titles. And this was also good. Unfortunately, it ended um, a little abruptly when Finley uh, injured his shoulder. Um, but you know, what can you do? And then afterwards, the Gorillas of Destiny Challenge of Briscoes for the Garden. So there's your first match for, uh, for there. So that was the shows this past week. Um, then 
coming up next before we record next, there's going to be the anniversary show. Main event's going to be Jay White against Will Ospreay for the IWGP title. Should be a great match. Interesting matchmaking as Osprey and Jay White are the two people who it feels like they're elevating the most right now, as I mentioned earlier. Somebody's got to lose. And that person is Will Ospreay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. I, I think I, I think they'll protect him a lot in the loss, and hopefully they'll both be elevated in the process. But I'm I'm very interested to see the framing of this match and the way it's laid out. Then there are two other key matches. First is Taiji Ishimori defending against Jushin Liger, which should be a fun match. And then Shingo and Bushi defend the junior tag titles against Sho and Yo, which should be uh should be very good as well. So that's the anniversary show coming up this week. And then immediately after that the uh, the New Japan Cup starts for the title shot at, at Madison Square Garden, and it's going to be a 32-man tournament. And it's an interesting first round because, to me, there are four favorites, Okada, Tanahashi, Ibushi, and Naito. And lo and behold, two of those men are meeting in the first round as it's Ibushi versus Naito right out of the gate. And, oh, by the way, Tanahashi is in the same quarter of the bracket with them. And, oh, last year's winner, Zack Sabre Jr., is too. So the conventional wisdom going into this thing seemed to be that Okada wins the tournament. I feel quite strongly that the winner is going to be the winner of the Ibushi versus Naito match, given they're going to want to put over the winner of this thing very strong. And either Ibushi or Naito is likely going to beat the other one of the two, plus Zack Sabre Jr., the winner from last year, plus Tanahashi in the first three matches. And that is... You know, that makes more sense for Ibushi, by the way, because he lost to Tanahashi in the G1 final while Naito beat Tanahashi already in the G1 final. And I think, I don't think that if Okada is winning, they'd want to shine so much more on someone else because whoever wins the bottom of this bracket is going to have, you know, it's going to be much more the focal point of the story of the tournament than Okada because of how it's laid out. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world because Okada does have a certain cachet, but I think they want to really, just like last year with Zack Sabre Jr., they really put over Zack Sabre Jr. strong um, out of the New Japan Cup. I think the idea out of this New Japan Cup should be let's really build somebody up here, particularly since they're not likely going to beat Jay White. So you want to give them as much as possible. And here, the way this thing's laid out, the person that's going to get the, you know, going to get, going to get the big elevation is whoever out of that Ibushi versus Naito thing comes out. Cause as I said, I think that person is beating, uh, beating, uh, 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 Zack Sabre Jr. And, and Tanahashi afterwards and having Okada just win at the end. I don't think that, you know, that, that has, you know, I think people are going to be thinking more about the other person, which is, I don't think what they want going into the, into the garden show. Moreover, um, if they, if they do that, they can then, um, well, they can do a number of things that, that also saves Okada and White for later. And Okada and White and Naito and White, I think, are the two biggest matches of the bunch. So you save those two for later. One of them for the dome. One of them you could have it like King of Pro Wrestling. And it would allow them to still do Okada versus Tanahashi at Madison Square Garden or maybe Okada to Naito if you wanted while still having a strong IDBGP title match on the same card with White versus Ibushi with a double main event because you, I'm sure they're going to want a really strong show. So that's my pick, um, Ibushi winning this thing. So we'll see if it if it turns out that way. But I, I'm pretty good at, at, at predicting Ghetto's booking. Um, uh, so we'll, we'll see if I, I do well there as, as well. 
Also in the first round of the uh, the New Japan Cup, uh, two other matches that stand out are are Nagata versus Ishii, which is a thing they've been building up for a while. It was originally going to be in the uh, the New Beginning show, one of the New Beginning shows here in the U.S., but after they had the visa issue, they weren't able to do it there. So now you get it here. Um, that should be a, uh, a great match. And then also Okada against Michael Elgin, which should uh, should be a strong one as well. So that's the uh, that's the New Japan um, Cup coming up. All right, cool. So then, uh, UFC, uh, John Jones already back in action. Yes, John Jones is, uh, is going to be back coming up this week at, uh, at UFC 235. I don't, I don't expect a big pay-per-view number, but it's a, it's a strong deep card. You know, John Jones versus Anthony Smith for the light heavyweight title. Smith is a massive underdog and for good reason because Jones is so much better of a fighter. But Smith does have knockout power and he's tough if, uh, if Jones is overlooking him too much. The, the fight, um, underneath it is, is I think uh, for a lot of people more intriguing, which is Tyron Woodley defending the welterweight title against Kamaru Usman. And, uh, and that's a, uh, or, or Marty Usman, as he's known in some circles. That's that's one of my favorite little like things going on right now in MMA. I, I don't know if you've seen this at all, Wade, but <laughs> so Kamaru Usman, um, billed as the I think Nigerian Nightmare, maybe. Um, but you know, like emphasizes his, uh, you know, his uh, his, uh, his his African heritage, and he's proud of that. And Ben Askren is, uh, has come into Bellator, uh, Bellator, come into the UFC after, uh, after fighting in one and then Bellator beforehand. And he just casually on, on Ariel's show just started calling Kamara Usman Marty because <laughs> Kamara Usman was known as Marty during his college days. And it was just like a nickname somebody gave him, just like a random thing. And Usman, it seems I, – I, I'm not sure, but it sure seems to me that this really, really irritates Usman. But he also doesn't want to sell that it really irritates him. So he tries to blow off the idea that this irritates him while giving off the impression that it really, really irritates him. And <laughs> Askren isn't spelling it out in these terms because I think if he spelled it out, it would, it would feel kind of mean-spirited. Like the idea that like you're not proud of who you are. You know, you're pretending to be – you know, you're pretending to be something you're not like there's just there's a whole like sort of uncomfortable thing but just sort of like sort of doing it with like not really like spelling it out but just sort of doing like a wink and a nod calling him marty with the implicit being like you know like you bill yourself as you know kamara usman from from uh from nigeria but people know you as marty it's just sort of like you know like <laughs> it's sort of messing with him in a way that just bugs him and it's it's just funny to watch and it makes him want to see ben asker fight kamara usman <laughs> by the way um so, yeah. uh, we'll see. That happens at some point, but it's, it's a good fight. You know, Usman and, and, uh, and Woodley. Usman is, uh, you know, he's won a bunch of fights in a row. I forget how many it is exactly, but something 11, one of the longer win streaks in, in UFC history. Um, he's another very good wrestler, just like Woodley. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's younger. He's got longer reach. Both of these guys are, are very confident fighters. Um, Woodley's a better striker, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious how that one, uh, how that one pans out. And, uh, another, another very compelling fight is, uh, is the aforementioned Ben Askren. He's debuting against Robbie Lawler. So we'll finally get to see how Askren does in the UFC. I mean, he's one of the, the best amateur wrestlers to ever compete in MMA. Undefeated over the course of his career. He's got, 
a unique style of, of grappling. His, his nickname is, is Funky for, uh, for a reason. And he's undefeated over the, the, the course of his career. And, uh, you know, we'll see how he does against, against top opposition. What, Waller, what kept him away from UFC all the, until now? Oh, that's a long, long story. So he, he was with Bellator back in the day yeah. and he wanted to come to the UFC and he met with, with Dana and I think Lorenzo Fertitta at that point in Vegas and they had, he had all but telegraphed that he, you know, that he was going to go to the UFC, but for whatever reason, it's never been entirely clear. And Askren's been kind of vague about it. Um, he, uh, Dana decided they didn't want to sign him. And he's, they, Dana said something like, you know, suggested they go to some other organization, you know, for the time being, which was just sort of like an insulting sentiment because Askren was clearly at that point one of the best best fighters in the world and there was a really intriguing fight and this this is one of the great like what if fights I, I, I thought this could have been such a big deal Askren against Johnny Hendricks because Hendricks was the, the 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 UFC welterweight champion Askren was a champion in Bellator and those two had a long history going back to, to, to college where they were these two standout amateur wrestlers um, and they didn't really like each other different personalities Askren rubs a lot of people the wrong way um, and I just think it would have been I think it would have been talked into this big fight. There were a lot of narratives to it. It was a really interesting stylistic fight. I think it just would have been a really fun fight for uh for 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 big fans, but Dana for whatever reason it was elected against signing Askren. So Askren went off to Asia to fight for one fighting championship at the time. Now it's one championship. Um and he, he, you know, he kept winning there and he announced his retirement. It looked like that was going to be it. And then for some reason, the UFC decided that they, that they wanted to bring him in. And I, I'm not sure why they wanted to bring him in now and they didn't before. I, I, I that I'm not clear on. My <laughs> part of me thinks that it might be that because they ended up executing what was billed as a trade. It wasn't really a trade, but effectively one and UFC agreed to release uh, – one agreed to release Ben Haskin from his contract. UFC agreed to release uh, release Demetrius Johnson from his contract uh, so Demetrius could go fight over on in one championship and – a part of me thinks that like the UFC was so happy to, to for the opportunity to get rid of Demetrius Johnson there was like we need some excuse here for why we're cutting Demetrius Johnson because it just the idea of them just releasing Demetrius Johnson in a bubble would have gotten them so much heat like from people who were like you're going to cut Demetrius Johnson you know one of the greatest fighters of all time um so the the the, the Askren thing at least gave them like plausible deniability like oh here's our opportunity to acquire Ben Askren, who we didn't want before, but now we want. And in the process, oh yeah, we got to get rid of Demetrius Johnson to get him. Which I, I think, like one, probably would have. Uh, well, I don't know about that, but it's entirely possible that they could have gotten one to release him, Askren from his contract anyway. So part of me thinks it was just like a ploy to get Demetrius Johnson out of the UFC. By the way, like Demetrius <laughs> Johnson, he's a great, great fighter, but he was not somebody that was like looking to like test himself every time out. He, they announced his his tournament that he's going to be in one championship. This is just like a delight. It's just him like against like just like this collection of jobbers. It's it's the it's the most preposterous tournament I can ever recall in MMA with like one like greatest ever in his weight class and then seven people that are just like 
18 levels below him. It's an amazing tournament. Um, so that's coming up in one. But yeah, to answer, to answer the question, I, I don't know a lot of, I don't, I, 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 I'm, I'm confused by a number of aspects about how Ashkin got to the UFC, but he's there now. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, how he, how he does. You know, Lawler, good defensive wrestler. He hits hard, super experienced. So it's, it's a tough, it's a tough test for Ben Askren, um, right out of the gate, uh, particularly given he hasn't fought in the UFC and he hasn't fought at all in a little while now. Uh, also on the card, you got Cody Garbrandt returning after his losses to, to TJ Dillashaw. He meets Pedro Munoz, who's been doing very well of late. Uh, the Chinese fighter, Weili Zhang, who looked very good thus far in the UFC, gets a big step up in competition when she meets Tisha Torres. Uh, as a beat Magomed Sharipov, who's the big time talent with a unique style. He meets Jeremy Stevens. Johnny Walker returns quickly after a spectacular win when he meets Misha Serkinov, who's a top light heavyweight contender. Tender, uh, the highly regarded Cody Stammen. He meets Alejandro Perez and uh, Mickey Gall, CM Punk's first UFC opponent, continues his uh, blessed existence of uh, taking on the best risk reward ratio opponents. Gets uh, Ultimate Fighter winner, uh, Ultimate Fighter one winner Diego Sanchez. So that should be a lot of fun. And then this past week was a card in Prague, and this show was um, what's the word? Um, it, it's like good only the opposite of that I'm trying to, what's the what's the word for that it's not, it's not good it's 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 it, what's what's the other what's the other one uh someone's calling with the answer hold on nope they don't have the answer i can't think what what's the word it's 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 not good it's 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 i'm so not giving this to you <laughs> Well, whatever, what I can't think of what the word is, but whatever, whatever that word is, that's what this show was. Um, bunch, of, bunch of bland fighters. Um, you're not very helpful, Wade. Um, I'm sorry. Having a bunch of all fights. Um, so that was the the card from Prague. Main event was Thiago Santos. Um, I don't know why I talked to you anyway. Uh, beating Jan Blahovic. I don't blame you at all. Uh, Blahovic struck uh, with with Santos, and he was actually doing pretty well for himself for the first two rounds. But Blahovic got a little too comfortable. He lunged forward in the third and. Santos has that scary knockout power, and he knocked him out with punches. Uh, so Santos wants a title shot. I'm cool with that. Light heavyweight division is pretty wide open. Thiago Santos getting the next title shot seems as fine as anything to me. Uh, also on the card, Stefan Struve submitted Marcos Rogerio de Lima, arm triangle, mostly ground-oriented fight. Afterwards, Struve said he's probably going to retire. Uh, given his age being not that old, then he's, he, he wouldn't even fully commit to it on the evening. I, I don't expect that'll, that'll end up being his final fight, but it's still a nice thought, you know, going out on a win. Well, he's, he'll, he's still not too old. So, uh, even if, uh, even if that doesn't end up happening, I, I think it's probably satisfying to indulge that, um, that fantasy. Uh, Peter Jan beat John Dodson, another quality win for the Russian. I thought Dodson fought pretty well overall, but Jan definitely deserved the decision. And we had this was really the highlight of the uh, of the of the show um, for sure was a, a classic MMA moment during Dwight Grant versus Carlo Pedersoli. Um That actually reminds me. Or the other card is funny. This is uh, this is on ESPN two. This portion of the card, and so you have six fights on ESPN two. Not a lot of names on this card, and so they like you know they have the scroll at the bottom on 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 ESPN. You know, it's like now this fight and like <laughs> coming up, you know. Dwight Grant versus Carlo Pedersoli. I was like, this is quite the hook here. You know, like, you know, stay tuned, people. In three hours, if you stick around, you get to see Dwight Grant versus Carlo Pedersoli, which, like, I mean, the number of people that have to be saying, oh, man, my, Dwight Grant versus Carlo Pedersoli, like, 
I doubt that goes into triple digits. I, 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 I find that hard to believe. But regardless, whether they were excited for that or not, they should have been because this was great. So we're at the end, we're right at the end of round one and it's just been a normal nondescript round, five minutes of fighting. With five seconds left, John Gooden, the announcer goes, so it looks like we're going to see a round two which seemed like a very good prediction <laughs> with five seconds left uh, in this fight that's, that's even. At which point Grant lands this thunderous overhand. Petter Soli collapses. His mouthpiece flies like a projectile clear across the other side of the octagon in one of the all-time great mouthpiece voyages. Um, and Grant starts hammering Petter Soli repeatedly in the head until the fight is stopped in the last second of the round. And this happens so quickly that poor Gooden, in the midst of his thought, just continues on as this is going on. And so the full call of the knockout goes, so it looks like we're going to see a round two. We'll be back in 30 seconds, right as the referee waves off the fight. It was just tremendous. It was one of my it was probably the best knockout call of all time, as <laughs> his brain his brain could not register in time that he's witnessing this knockout, and he continues he, he continues to explain that we're, we're coming back from this as the person is getting knocked out, and only after the referee waves, waves it off are the announcers that then able to address the fact that the fight is over. It was, it was tremendous. Um, I, I, I'm not, I, by the way, I, I, to be clear, I, I don't think I'm not. I, I guess I am kind of making fun of John Gooden, but like I, I don't blame him. Like it wasn't like he was incompetent or anything. It was just like the way things worked out. It was, it was very, very funny. So that was the highlight of the show. Uh, other stuff. Chris Fishgold, he looked good against uh, Daniel Teamer. Uh, repeatedly threatened with submissions. Caught him in a rear naked choke for the finish. And then UFC had to have been satisfied as a couple of uh, inconvenient win streaks came to an end with uh, Ishmael Nardiev uh, ending uh, Michel Perseris' streak and uh, Diego Fajeda ending. Uh, Rustam Habilov's uh, streak. So uh, that was uh, the UFC in Prague. Sorry, Czech Republic. <laughs> All right, cool. We'll uh, wrap up there. All right, until next time, once again, Wade Keller thanking you for listening. Thanks to Todd, of course, and we'll sign off until tomorrow.